Good morning, everyone. It's, uh, it's good to see you all here again on Sunday morning. I hope everyone's doing well. I have a little announcement to make. We have some supply talk that we can give to you. We have people that are making masks. We have people that have gloves. All kinds of people are doing everything that we can to try and help support the community. And I want to invite you, if you have any of those things, to please contact me and we will do our best to get you in contact with those persons or people who have masks that they're making or gloves or all different kinds of stuff. So just want to lay that out there for you. Also want to talk about the fact if I haven't reached out to you this week, um, please let me know and I will try to. I have my elders and myself. We are going through our membership roles and we're trying to contact everybody to make sure that they're okay and just let them know that we're praying about you. I do try and contact people via Facebook Messenger. I try and talk to people via text message. I try and talk to people via email and I do try and call. So if I haven't done that this week, then please with you or if we haven't reached out to you, then let us know and we'll get back to you as soon as we possibly can. Just know that we are continuing to pray we're continuing to pray for each and every one of you, your families, your friends. We're praying for the government as well. We're praying for the people that are the first responders, our police, our fire, our EMS, our paramedics, all of those people, the doctors and the hospitals, the nurses, the nurse practitioners, everyone who's involved in all of this, the physician assistants. If I miss somebody, I apologize, but we are praying as a church and we still are praying every night at 7 o'clock. It's not something that we have to come here to the building and do, but we are praying. And we're asking you to be praying for this nation in this time. That they would see God. That they would run to God. That they would know that God is in control. That's an important aspect of what's going on. So please continue to keep praying for people. Pray with me as we are praying for our government and everyone involved. So with that being said... Let's go ahead and pray together. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we come to you and we know that you are involved in all of this. That like our earthly fathers, we didn't have to question whether or not they were going to take care of us. We just, like children, childlike faith in our parents, knew that you that they were going to take care of us like you are taking care of us now. You're involved in all of this. Everything that's happening you knew and know was going to happen. And you're in control and we can take comfort in knowing that you're going to pay the bills for us. You're going to give us the money we need to buy food. You're going to take care of us even if we do get sick. Lord, we pray for those who are sick, who have been infected by the coronavirus. Lord, we pray that you would heal them. If it's in your will, heal them. Because, Lord, we want to be people who run after you, who walk in love as Christ loves us and gave himself up for us. And so, Lord, I just pray that we would be imitators of you involved in all of this, 
that we would be kind to one another, tender-hearted to one another, forgiving one another, because as we're locked up together in these houses, Lord, I pray for mothers and fathers, they can reach out to their kids and love them well in the midst of all this, and, and forgive one another when we snap or get irritated, Lord. I, I also pray, God, because as God in Christ you forgave us, we want to forgive others. So, Lord, you are holy. You are wonderful. You are an amazing God who loves us. In the midst of all these things, Lord, we give this time to you. We pray that we would let all bitterness and wrath and anger and, and, and clamor and slander be put away from us. All malice would go away, but we would be kind to one another. So we just pray that prayer. Lord, I just give this time to you. If it's not from you, take it from me. Don't allow me to say it. But Lord, as we are about to embark on looking at leadership one, one, and one more time and then another time with Jesus, Lord, I give this time to you. I pray that the people would see Jesus Christ and it would come through. And it would make sense. He is the true leader that we all can look to. I pray all of this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. So we have been looking at leadership, and we have looked at Ruth last week. And Ruth was an amazing, loyal leader. She was a loyal person to her mother-in-law, Naomi, and she was a loyal person to the Lord God. Even though she was a Moabite, she left everything she had, and she went with her mother-in-law to a foreign land and didn't have any prospects for a future husband. She didn't know anything, but she wanted to follow God and Naomi. And she was a Moabite. Now, we know where the Moabites came. They came from an incest story between Lot and his daughter. And so she's going to a foreign land where they know she's a Moabite. And that would ring true in the minds of the people of Israel. And so I wanted you guys to understand that she's very loyal to the Lord, and the Lord takes care of her. He does things for her. He's her redeemer. And he becomes the redeemer, and she marries a man named Boaz, who is the kinsman redeemer. And Boaz, ultimately, she gives birth to the man who then has a wife who gives birth to the man who's her great-grandson, David which is where Jesus of Nazareth comes from. Jesus Christ comes from this line. And that's important to know. I told you that she was a human being who was very loyal, but she also had the issue of being a human being that might have been naive. Now, again, I said this was a stretch, but naivety is very important that we gotta be careful what we do. I told you to ask and seek and knock and the answers will be given to you if you do that with God. Don't be naive. But first seek God's kingdom and righteousness and all else will be given unto you. Use the guide method that I've talked about many times before. Go to the Lord in prayer and reading his word. Understand his principles, whatever those principles might be about a certain subject. Listen to the Holy Spirit. Investigate your options and discuss those options with others and elders, and then express your freedom in Christ. That's the important thing we need to be doing. That's how we know we are following the truth of God. 
The one true leader who never fails is Jesus Christ. And that's who we're going to be looking at today. He never sinned. He's always someone we should look for in a leader. In fact, his leadership skills are the things we're going to look at so that you can make an informed decision about why you should follow him. Like so many who have before us and so many who will continue after us, you need to make a decision. And no decision, by the way, is a decision in and of itself. This faith that we have, this trust that we have, is an evidential-based faith. Last year, I talked about it at Easter Sunday, we have much evidence to prove that Jesus Christ is who he says he is. It's not just what's written in the Bible. There's extra biblical materials written about the man, Jesus, from Nazareth. Josephus in the first century wrote about it. Tacitus, a Roman historian, wrote about it. Wrote about the life of Jesus and those who followed him. There are other evidences, archaeological proofs, that prove that Jesus Christ lived and died and rose again. There's eyewitness accounts of it. So this isn't something that's just blind faith. And so we're going to look at Jesus today. We're going to focus on, and I'm going to focus on for you this week, Palm Sunday, Jesus' human side. We're going to look at the human aspects of Christ and we're going to look at, and during Palm Sunday, the fact that he came triumphantly here, riding on a donkey, and, and he was praised through the streets. So we're going to do those things. We're going to look at his qualities of the leadership. So we're going to look at his human side. So the first thing we're going to do is look at the first one, which is honesty and integrity. Now, I want to first note something here before I get into this, is that Jesus was fully human. His virgin birth in Matthew 1, 18 through 25, his birth shows us he was born and that he's human, just like you and I. He's born like everyone else. Now, yes, he was born of a virgin, but he went through the same processes that all of us go through in that birth. And I want to make sure that I put that out there because there are some who think that Jesus wasn't even born. That he somehow just came about from being. No, he was born. And if you don't trust me, go and read the story. You can, you can see he was fully born just like everybody else. Another aspect of his human side that's important before we get started is that he eats and he drinks. He has emotions. He has anger, righteous anger. He has all the human traits you can think of which is proof that he is fully human. However, he never sinned in his anger. Never once did he sin in his anger. Now, for the leadership skills of Jesus, and most importantly, his human leadership skills, in the beginning of the sermon series, I gave you guys a list of what you look for in a leader, or at least what the world is looking for in a leader. And one of those is honesty and integrity. That's what they're looking for in a leader. We're going to go through the list that I gave to you guys in the beginning of the sermon series, and we're going to see how Jesus actually fulfilled each and every one of those things, and then we're going to look at the one that I said was most important of all that none of the secular leadership books talk about, but it's called being a servant. The God of the universe came to serve, not be served, and that's exactly what Jesus did for us. And so I want you guys to see that as a perfect human being, he was the perfect leader that we all should emulate and want to be about. Because that's what we're celebrating. 
We're celebrating that together here, yes, on Facebook Live, but we're celebrating his honesty and integrity. So I want you guys to hear how a leader answers what is meant to be and means to be honest and use or have integrity. So we're going to look at Matthew chapter 22, verses 15 through 22. That's what we're going to look at. So verse 15 says this, Then the Pharisees went and plotted how to entangle him in his words. And they sent their disciples to him, along with the Herodians, saying, Teacher, we know that you are true and teach the way of God truthfully, and you don't care about anyone's opinion, for you are not swayed by appearances. Verse 17, tell us then, what do you think? Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But Jesus, aware of their malice, said, why put me to the test, you hypocrites? Jesus called people hypocrites to their face? Yeah, he did. Because they were. Verse 19, show me the coin for the tax. And they brought him a denarius. And Jesus said to them, whose likeness and inscription is this? And they said, Caesar's. Then he said to them, therefore render to Caesar's the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And when they heard it, they marveled. And they left him and went away. Jesus was a leader who said that we're to be honest with the government, with our money, and to have integrity with God. Give to Caesar's what is Caesar's, and give to God's what is God's. And when they heard that, they marveled, and they left him and went away. Because they knew that Jesus was honest and had integrity, because he was a true leader. How about another aspect of Christ? Let's look at another aspect of Christ. We're going to look at his confidence and his inspiring of others. We're going to look at Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 through 25. Read it with me, church. Here it goes. Verse 18. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who's called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called to them. Immediately they left the boat, and their father followed, and their father and followed him. And he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria, and they brought him all the sick, those who were afflicted with various diseases and pains, those who were oppressed by demons, those having seizures and paralytics, and he healed them. And a great crowd followed him from Galilee and Decapolis, and from the Ju Jerusalem to Judea, and from beyond the Jordan. Here's the thing you guys have to remember. Jesus had confidence and inspired career fishermen. He had confidence and inspired career fishermen to leave everything they have, their jobs, their families, to follow him. He went from town to town, healed the sick, taking care of those who were afflicted, various diseases and pains, 
How so right is that for us today? Jesus is the great healer. But he did it as a man walking from town to town, doing the things that were necessary. Those who were oppressed by demons, he healed them all. He knew what would happen, and he went as he was called to go, and he did as what he was called to do in order that many from around the world would believe that he is the Son of God. Leaders don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk, and he absolutely did that. He had confidence, and he inspired others. That's why we're here today, because of Jesus Christ. How about another aspect? How about another aspect of Jesus? His commitment and his passion. We're going to look at a couple scriptures here, and we're going to look at his commitment and his passion to his calling. I want you guys to see this. Jesus went, Matthew chapter 26, Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, who we just learned about, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. Verse 39. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and he prayed, saying, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Look at the same exchange in the book of Luke. Luke chapter 22, verse 39. And he came out and he went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives. And his disciples followed him. And when they came to the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone throws away. He knelt down and he started praying, saying, Father, if you're willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him and being in agony. He prayed more earnestly and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling to the ground. Jesus Christ was committed to the plan of redemption God the Father had called him to do via praying almost endlessly and earnestly, even in times of troubles, just before he's given over to be murdered for doing nothing, and he's hung on a tree, he prays in agony and more earnestly, his sweat becomes like great drops of blood falling to the ground. Jesus was committed to the calling that God had for him. He was committed to the redemptive work, so much so that he prayed in agony so that you and I would not have to face the pain and suffering of being eternally separated from God. That's commitment. That's integrity. That's what God did for us. That's what Jesus did for us. All you have to do is believe and receive Jesus Christ as your Savior. And you don't have to go through that. You don't have to experience that. That's the grace that's involved here. The grace in his human leadership skills. Let's look at another one. Let's look at the fact that he makes decisions. 
his decision-making skills. Listen to the kinds of decisions Jesus makes in times of troubles for the people. Matthew chapter 8. When he came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him. And behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a proof to them. How about this one? Jesus 8, Matthew 8, chapter 23. And when he got into his boat, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being swiped or swamped with the waters and the waves. But he was asleep. And they went and woke him up, saying, Save us, Lord, we're perishing. And he said to them, Why are you afraid of you of little faith? He rebuked, he rose, and then rebuked the winds and the seas, and they were calm. And the men marveled, saying, What sort of man is this that even the winds and the seas obey him? Or how about this one, Matthew chapter 9? His decision-making skills. And getting into a boat, he crossed over and came to his own city. Behold, some people brought him a paralytic, laying on a bed. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. And behold, some of the scribes said to themselves, This man is blaspheming. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven, or say, Rise and walk. Verse 6, but that you may know that the Son of God has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, Rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and he went home. And the crowd saw it, and they were afraid, and they glorified God who had given such authority to men. There are so many more I could go through or touch on. Like the healing of two blind men later in Matthew chapter 9. However, Jesus made decisions and he made them for the people. That's the thing I want you to understand. He made decisions and he was a great decision maker. That's what we look for in a leader, someone who's able to make decisions. And yet here's another example of Jesus making decision after decision after decision. And they're always the right decisions. He did the right thing every time. And when that happens, you're going to upset some people who think they know better than you. And that's exactly what Jesus did. He made the right decision and it upset some people. But that's what you're looking for in a real leader. Uh, the ability to make decisions. To have honesty and integrity. To be committed and have passion. To know how to make decisions. How about the fifth one? How about another one? One more. Number five. This is another thing he did. Matthew. Good communications. I don't really want to talk about this too much because you can go and read it on yourself. But the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 6, it's amazing. Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. The Sermon on the Mount is an amazing chance for you to see Jesus and his communication skills. He has good communication skills. And many people miss this truth. Many people think that because it's a Sermon on the Mount that he must have been standing on top of a mountain and shouting down. That's not what happened. I went to Israel 
And I absolutely enjoyed myself. But one of the things I remember most is the Sermon on the Mount. He's standing down by the seashore and he's looking up and it's a natural amphitheater. And the people would have been sitting on the mount. And he just talks like you hear me now talking. And the people all the way to the top, all the way to the bottom could hear because it was a natural amphitheater. It was an amazing time to see Jesus Christ as the greatest communicator of all time. How about another leadership skill? Let's look at delegation. Jesus knows how to delegate. Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20 says this. Now, the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had directed them. He told them where to go. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Jesus Christ knew how to delegate. And if that's not delegation, telling them to go to the mountain and telling them what they're supposed to do after he leaves this earth, I don't know what is. But this man, this fully man, fully God, Jesus Christ of Nazareth, knew how to delegate. Go, therefore, make disciples. Teach them all that I've commanded you. And know I'm with you even to the end of the age. Knowing that he, Jesus Christ, is always with you even to the end of the age is an important aspect of leadership. Knowing that your leaders are behind you is important. And he shows this. He proves it over and over again of what it means to be behind his disciples. How about another leadership skill? Let's look at another leadership skill. He has creativity and innovation. That's what we look for in a leader, right? Look at his creativity and innovation in Matthew chapter 14. Listen to what he says. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them, and he healed their sick. And when he was evening, the disciples came to him and said, There is a desolate place, and the day is now over. And send the crowds away to go to the villages and buy food for themselves. But Jesus said to them, They need not go away. Give them something to eat. And they said to him, We only have five loaves of bread here and two fish. And he said, Bring them here to me. Then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass, taking the five loaves of bread and the two fish. He looked up to heaven and said a blessing. And then he broke the loaves and he gave them to the disciples. And the disciples gave them to the crowds. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces left over. And those who ate were about 5,000 men, besides the women and children. Or how about this for innovation and creativity? Immediately, he made the disciples get into a boat and go before him to the other side. And while he dismissed the crowds, and after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up to the mountain by himself to pray. And when evening came, he was there alone. But the boat by this time was long away from the land, beating by the waves, and the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. But when his disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, Is it a ghost? 
And they cried out in fear, but immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. Jesus Christ walks on water, and he feeds 5,000 with five loaves of bread and two fish. If that is not creativity and innovation, I don't know what is. Yeah, that's more of his godly side, his miracle side. But again, as a human being, he made the decision to feed people, to not just send them away, to take care of those who are in need. And he's, he saved his disciples' fear. He took the fear away from them to know that he was with them. How many leaders today could you say that are willing to do that? How many leaders are being creative and innovative today? How many could inspire so many to follow him? Or even follow them? What are you following in a leader? Is it because he looks successful? What does success look like? Or is it because they have these integrity? They have these qualities. They're honest. They're in, they have integrity. What are you looking for in a leader? Here's another leadership skill that we need to look at. I want you guys to look at another leadership skill of Jesus Christ. His empathy. Leaders need to be empathy. John chapter 11, we learn of Lazarus, who is the brother of Mary and Martha, and a person Jesus loved. We learn that he dies. Listen to what happens. Listen to what happens. John chapter 11, verse 17. When Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Verse 24, Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection of the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who's come into the world. And we had said, and when she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher's here and is calling for you. Verse 29, and when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews were who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Verse 32, now, when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. If you would have just stopped the coronavirus, my loved one wouldn't have died. If you would have just stopped that car or that person or that thing, fill in the blank. How many of us have that same feeling that Mary has? Lord, if you would have just done something different, this wouldn't have happened. If you would have stopped that bad person from doing something to a good person, we would all be happy now. I want you to see the reaction of a real leader here. Understand the reaction of a real leader when it comes to something like this. Listen to what he says. Verse 33. When Jesus saw her weeping... And the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. Verse 35, Jesus 
wept. Jesus wept. He showed empathy. He cried. He was there for them in their time of need, just like he's here for us in our time of need. He's always going to be there because he's the real leader. He's the true leader that you need to be looking for. He loved this man and Jesus wept. And when he found out about Lazarus dying, he wept. He didn't show up right away. He didn't fix it right away. He wept. He showed empathy. He's doing the same to us today. I was asked one time at a funeral why I was crying because the person who died, I didn't even know him. And I just remember having this overwhelming feeling for the family. And you're right, I did, I, they were right. I didn't know the people, but I just started crying. I felt for them. I felt compassion. I just felt sad for the people and their loss. That's exactly what Jesus does. Jesus wept. And as a leader, he showed empathy. And that's what you're looking for in a leader. Somebody who's willing to show empathy. Somebody who's willing to understand your circumstances. Someone who's willing to care about you. Not about their bottom line. Not about the things that they care about, like their money. They don't get mad that you show up or don't show up for work when you're sick. They don't, they don't badmouth you behind your back because you don't do the things uh, that they're looking for in the sense of sickness and health and all that stuff. Real leaders don't do that. Real leaders have compassion and empathy. And they trust their people. They trust their workers who are sick. They don't get mad at them. They don't want to fire them all the time. Real leaders have empathy and compassion. Jesus is the best leader we could ever ask for, ever, ever to be shown to us. Let me share a couple more, and then I'm going to close this in prayer. Here's the next thing you need to see of Jesus, his humility. Matthew chapter 11, verse 29 says this, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. He's very humble. You will find rest with your souls, for my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Jesus is the lowly in heart or humble person, the humble leader. His yoke is easy and his burden is light. Do you know Jesus Christ, church? Do you know him this way? Here's another one. Here's another one. Vision and purpose. Listen to what he says in Acts chapter 1. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, It's not for you to know the times or the season that the Father has fixed by his own authority. Verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea, Samaria, and even to the ends of the earth. Jesus tells us what we're to be shooting for as believers in him. We're to be witnesses to the whole world and share the truth with everyone we meet, even to the ends of the earth. Are you doing that, church? The Gospel Coalition last night asked us to have a hashtag. It's slipping my mind, but Jesus changed my life, hashtag, I believe. Or how Jesus changed my life. 
I'm calling all of us to consider putting it out there next week, every day, something about how Jesus has changed your life. You can go to the Gospel Coalition. They have the hashtag there. I'm going to start hashtagging how Jesus has changed my life. And I'm encouraging all of you to do that as well. Because are we doing that, church? Are we looking at the fact that Jesus Christ is the one who has a vision and a purpose for us? Because I think the most important aspect of a leader is to have all of these qualities, and he embodies all of them. In fact, if you're a leader and you don't have these qualities, please reconsider or rethink your life choices. Consider start asking God what he would have you be doing with your life. Because here's the last one. Here's the one I think is one of the most important. His servanthood. Listen to this. Then the mother of the son of Zebedee came up to him with her sons. Kneeling before him, she asked him for something. And he said to her, what do you want? And she said to him, say to these two sons of mine are to sit, one on your right and one on your left, in your kingdom. Jesus answered, you do not know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I am to drink? They said to him, we are able. And he said to them, you will drink my cup, but to sit at the, my right hand and my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared by my father. And when the ten heard it, they were indignant to the two brothers. But Jesus called them to him and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Verse 28. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. To be a servant to those who work for you. Don't lord it over your people, but serve them with all the leadership skills that have been listed here today, and even more. Learn that the Son of God came not to be served, but to serve. He gave his life as a ransom for many so that you and I could be with God forever. God's only son died in your place and my place to serve justice, to free us from sin and eternal death. If you don't know that, if you didn't know that, then you do now. And I have only one question for you. What are you doing about Jesus Christ? Are you going to confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and, and he died in your place and repent of your sins and turn from your sins and your ways and yield your life to him? Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's what Paul tells us in Romans. In fact, he also says this, for with the heart one believes and is justified and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there's no distinction between Jews and Greeks. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's my prayer for everyone listening today. That's my goal, that if you would believe and receive Jesus Christ as your Savior... 
from yourself and from certain death, God is the one who is there all the time. He's in control, not some Christian, not some pastor. I hear it all the time. They hate Christians because they're hypocrites. Yes, we are. We make mistakes. We sin. But God doesn't. God doesn't. So I'm calling all of you guys. God is not the cosmic killjoy that so many think he is. God is a loving, caring, just God who gives us the way we need to live. However, many don't want to live by these ways because they want to live by their own ways. They want to be their own God. Don't play God. My encouragement to all of you is don't play God. Seek him. Ask him. Knock for him. And he'll come in and he'll eat with you and love you, especially in times of troubles or trials in your life. If you've left the faith, then I want to talk to you about something. If you've decided to leave Jesus Christ, I want to mention something to you. Norman Geisler rightly put it this way. For those who've given up on God, he does it in his systematic theology book. I think it's great here on page 284. This is what he says. Continuing in faith and continuing in faithfulness are not the same thing. Continuing in faith and continuing in faithfulness are not the same thing. One can continue to believe in Christ and manifest a, a modicum of good works springing from that faith without truly being a faithful or fruitful Christian. True believers are not always faithful. True believers are not always faithful. But when they are unfaithful to the Lord, they do not lose their salvation. If we are faithless, he will remain faithful, for he cannot deny, disown himself or deny himself. True believers of the biblical era were unfaithful at times. They were untrue to one or more of God's commandments, but none of them were without faith in God of the commandments. No matter how dormant or suppressed anyone's faith may have become, there are no undisputed scriptural examples of anyone known to be saved who completely gave up his faith in God. People who permanently turn from the faith are professing, not possessing, Christians. That is, they were never really saved. They fall into the category of those who Jesus said, I never knew you, Matthew chapter 7, verse 23. So if you say you're a Christian and you don't follow God in his ways, then return, meshuv, repent, like the prodigal son, and God will run to you. Because the main issues with all of these men and women that we looked at throughout this sermon series is that they followed God, but made some really bad mistakes. It doesn't mean they lost their salvation. It means that they took their eye off the ball and it cost them everything. Do you, have you taken your eye off the ball? Just like you and I, if we take our eyes off our focus of Jesus, it will cost us. But God is gracious and forgiving. We have to return and repent. Just like he was with these leaders that we've looked at over this period of time, Jesus Christ is a repenting, loving, forgiving leader. 
So please consider coming back to him if you've turned away from him, if you've turned away from the church because of hypocrisy. Consider doing that. Consider coming back because none of us are perfect. There are no perfect churches. Not one. But there is a perfect God. And this church is always going to preach Jesus Christ and Christ alone. And we're going to do everything we can, myself, my elders, and the people of this church, to love people well. We're not always going to get it right. We're not always going to make the right decisions. We're going to do our best to push you to God, who does do it right, who does make all the right decisions. We looked at Jesus Christ in his fully godly side, in his fully godly ways, and if this doesn't help you to understand why we follow God, then I don't know what will. If this doesn't help you understand why we follow Jesus Christ, I'm not sure I can ever help you. But this is the reasons why I follow Jesus Christ, because he embodies perfectly all the human aspects of leadership. And next week, I want you guys to invite your friends and your families and your neighbors and your loved ones and everyone you know, co-workers, whomever it might be, to listen to the truth behind Jesus's godly side. We saw some examples of Jesus's godly side here today, but mainly I wanted to focus on the human aspects. So invite your friends, invite your family. Let me pray for us as we're about to close. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we pray. We pray because you are able to do far more abundantly than we all ask or even think according to the power that is, is at work within us, the Holy Spirit. So Lord, we pray for people who don't know you that they would come to know you. Lord, as Paul prayed, who was a prisoner of the Lord, he urged all of us to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which we have been called, with all humility, with all gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity in the spirit and the bond of peace. Because love hopes in all things, love believes all things, love endures all things, love never ends. So, Lord, we give this time to you. We pray for our friends and our neighbors and our co-workers, all the people who are involved with this issue of the coronavirus. God, that you would use us as servants to serve those in need. Lord, we give you the glory. We give Jesus Christ the glory. Throughout all generations, Forever and ever, we give Christ the glory. We pray all of this in Jesus' holy name. Amen.